Whether you want to start a faith-based business or an online ministry, you've come to the right place. This is the Teresa Blaze Show with your host, Teresa Blaze, where she's bringing her over 20 years of consulting experience to the mic. Now, here's Teresa. I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Teresa Blaze Show. Today, I have got Mr. Jared Williams from Biblical Wealth Solutions, where he is all about helping Christians radically think about how they deal with their finances and help them invest in uh, things outside of Wall Street. I, I, I really think what, that he's doing some cool stuff. He is also the host of the Biblical Wealth Podcast and Building Bi- uh, Biblical Families Podcast. So, Jared, welcome to the show. Hi, Teresa. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to talk. Well, I'm really glad to talk. Uh, before we dive in, uh, I'm going to cover our sponsor real quick. And guys, uh, you guys know that I am all about financial education. That's why I brought Jared on. But if you want to really ramp up what you're doing, you need to get some quality training. And the guy that I have actually interviewed, in fact, uh, he's you can actually go check out his interview, is uh, Brian Fouts. He's the owner of the Elevation Group. And they help, they help people learn about investment strategies that the rich and wealthy use that the normal class do not. I've taken this many of these courses uh, and it's not what you think. So check it out. You can go to TeresaBlaze.com forward slash EVG. With that, let's get on with the content. Jared, when we are talking about biblical wealth, isn't that kind of an oxymoron? I mean, if you're a Christian, aren't you supposed to be poor? (laughs) That's a a good question. Uh, No, we see examples throughout scripture of God using both the poor and the wealthy and and everyone in between. So I, I don't think our wealth has anything to do with our, well, I mean, they're certainly related to our relationship with Christ, but we, we don't have to, uh, you know, be poor in order to be like Christ. You know, it's funny you say that because you, you wouldn't hear it. I mean, in a lot of um, denominations, Christian circles, they almost have a poverty mindset. It's almost like, oh, you're a Christian and, you, you know, you don't want to gather wealth because, you know, you know, that love of money and so on and so forth. Yeah, I used to think that way as well. Like, honestly, that was that was a difficult thing for me to overcome. And it took a lot of years. And and even now I'm I'm not necessarily of the the mindset that we should maximize our wealth. You know, that that's our goal to have as much as we can. I certainly don't agree with that. Um, in fact, I teach, I teach, we should try to maximize our stewardship. Um, and that doesn't mean minimizing our wealth, but it means being thoughtful about how we use whatever it is that God's given us, whether it's a lot or a little and, and, you know, including money and, you know, other possessions as well. I remember years ago, having known some missionaries and, uh, you know, around 2008, 2009, um, you know, a lot of the support dried up for them and they had to leave the mission field. And I thought, wow, you know, because of lack of money, uh, you know, essentially they were not able to continue doing the great work that God had called them to do. And I thought that was, uh, that was a shame, but it made me think about how essential, you know, money is because God created it, you know, not because God needs it, but he created it. It is the means by which we do nearly everything that we do. And so that was the beginning of my, my mind shift. That, hey, we, we need money. If there are people who are going out and doing work that doesn't produce income, there's got to be people behind them supporting them who have that money and, and enough to give. You know, I think that's really interesting. And it really ties into um, a journey that I took. Uh, one of the biggest impactful books that I read um, when you're dealing with wealth and financial education was actually Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
I mean, when I first read that and I went, wow, my family has a poor dad mentality. I don't want to have that. If a Christian isn't here to get everything uh, to build as much wealth as they can, if they're supposed to maximize their stewardship, as you say, then what are some of the biggest roadblocks that you see to them actually accomplishing this? I think knowledge is, is one big red block. You know, you, you talked about financial literacy. That, that probably is the primary one. Um, you know, and we could spend quite a bit of time talking about that. Uh, second to that is this mindset that you said of worrying about, you know, the love of money. And, and you know, and that, that's a real thing. You know, scripture gives us a lot of caution about money. So it's not a just go get as much as you can, have fun with it. You know, there's a lot of caution of the, you know, risk of how sin can come in, you know, uh, how we can misuse money um, and how money can cause us to lose focus on, you know, God's kingdom and other things that, that matter more than money. Um, but yeah, I would say the financial literacy and, and just knowledge are the, are the biggest obstacles. And that's what I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people understand, you know, what I call my, my biblical and better approach to finances so that they know how to, you know, then in a, in a more secure, less risk, um, you know, just better, that's a good term, you know, better way to achieve financial freedom and, and you know, be able to then maximize their stewardship potential. When you're talking about doing that, because there are so many places uh, we could jump into, one of the things that I'm starting to realize, so for example, um, Brian in a previous episode that we were doing was talking about what he called active income versus uh, passive income. Active income being the kind of stuff where you're trading the time for the dollar and the passive being like ongoing cash flow. So I'm wondering, do you kind of agree with that mindset? Do you handle it a little differently? I think there's a lot more to it than that, but I definitely agree that, and, and I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad book talks about this as well, that we, you know, we, we earn first, so that's active income, you know, whether it's a job or a business or, you know, whatever, but we are out working to produce and to earn an income. And then we can take some of that and then invest it. And there's lots of ways of doing that, um, but turning that into passive income. And eventually, you know, with, with time, that passive income the goal is, or I call it income from investing. Some investing's semi-passive, you know, you got to have your hands on it a little bit, but it's not your job, you know, it's not your career. But eventually that, uh, that passive income, when that exceeds your living expenses, and there's a few other key building blocks to financial freedom as well, but that's that being the biggest one. When you don't need the active income any longer to live off of, then, you know, you've achieved financial freedom from having the passive income. And that can take a long time. It can be quick. It very much depends on the person's situation, how they invest and a, a number of other factors. But I agree with that being a part of the goal. So you teach a lot of investment strategies outside of Wall Street. What do you encourage your clients to do when they come to you uh, to invest like outside of Wall Street? Yeah. There, there's lots of people who can talk about different investments off of Wall Street. So I, I'd prefer to answer the why question to that first. And then I'm happy to share some of those investments, investment strategies and things. But what really began all of this you know, mindset shift for me was uh, being introduced from someone that I randomly met at a church's Christmas party. So <laughs> randomly talking about where providentially met at our church's Christmas party. Um, and he introduced me to this idea of biblically responsible investing. And I'd never heard that term. 
I was, I already had some, you know, financial background. I was doing, wasn't primarily doing investing at the time, but I was in the financial industry. Um, and he shared with me that there were, you know, a lot of companies out there that, that many and many of us, most of us are invested in through our mutual funds and our 401ks and IRAs and wherever, um, you know, that are supporting and even profiting from unbiblical activities. Uh, you know, things like abortion, pornography, addiction, we were literally profiting from some of that. Um, or, you know, owning companies that are helping those activities to grow and become more prevalent. And, um, you know, that obviously as stewards of God's money, if, if we realized that we would not want to be profiting from those things, we, we wouldn't agree with that. And I'd never considered that. I'd never thought about what's going on behind the scenes of my investments. You know, I thought about what's their performance look like, um, but never how is that money being made? Uh, you know, how is that performance being generated? And so that was a really eye-opening conversation. And, and that led to, you know, me having many, many more conversations with him and getting introduced to a lot of people in that industry. And so that's primarily done through uh, biblically screened mutual funds. So that is on the stock market. And that's where I began. And so it was this idea of avoiding, avoiding the bad and being better stewards of what God has given us. But uh, as, as time went on, I began to find some problems with, you know, the typical approach, I, I call it the typical financial approach that, again, most families are following and what we're being taught by most of the financial educators out there had its own problems and specifically, you know, relying primarily on, on Wall Street and on the stock market led to a substantial loss of wealth. I mean, t- regularly over 50% loss of wealth for many families and they have no idea like they don't realize they're losing that wealth it's not a crash it's in addition to any other thing that may go wrong they were losing substantial money when i saw that you know it was, it was devastating it was hard to continue doing the work i was doing with the families that i was working with and saying this is the best i know to tell you but i can see big problems with it and so i was spending a lot of time praying like for solutions to that problem and 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 this isn't all of it but investing off of wall street does solve many of those problems and so it's much easier to be biblically responsible when we're investing in something like, you know, a rental home as, as one example. Uh, we know what it is. We, we know how the money is being made. We know there's nothing, you know, bad or immoral, you know, in that for sure. Um, plus, we have impact. We're getting to help other people. We're getting to bless their lives through our investing. Um, and it solves many of these problems that most families were facing from a financial standpoint as well. And so that made me very interested. I'll say that uh, to begin with, to do a lot more research, to dive into that you know, part of the industry and learn more about investing off of Wall Street. And the more that I did, you know, the more pleased that I was. And that doesn't mean that, you know, every investment is good. Obviously, they're not. Um, But there are many, many ways of making, frankly, better investments, in my opinion, off of Wall Street, while also solving the problems that cause substantial loss of wealth and more easily being biblically responsible and even blessing the lives of others. Uh, so, So that was the why. That's what led me into looking at the off Wall Street investments. So um, anytime someone talks about non-Wall Street investments, real estate is going to be a big part of that, whether it's, you know, owning an individual rental property, whether it's being a part of a fund and, you know, a part of a group that's buying a larger multifamily type of uh, complex, whether it's, you know, again, investing in a group for uh, storage units or um, mobile home parks. Like there's, there's lots of ways of doing that. And we can help people do, you know, any of those things through, uh, you know, expert partners that they can work with. There's ways of lending for profit, so lots of um, lots of different ways where you can lend money to someone, and so you're not having an ec- and, you know, an equity ownership piece of it, but you're just lending money for a return for an interest rate, just like the bank does. Oftentimes, there's collateral, so there's a lot less risk involved in that. 
Uh, and so that's a way of investing off of Wall Street. Um, then you get into things like life settlements. And there, you know, there's lots of interesting things out there that require, require more education, um, but plenty of ways to diversify an investment portfolio and earn active income or, or have good growth without having to deal with um, the volatility, the costs and things that go along with the stock market. You know, I find it really interesting, especially right now. So like we are in this weird time of unemployment and yet the stock market is up and 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 rising and fluctuating and i'm certainly not an expert in it but you know i'm playing with a little tiny bit but not enough to endanger us you know what i mean but i find what you're saying to be uh really intriguing in the sense of a lot of people they just they they really do take the uh approach of well i have this financial advisor he must have a lot more knowledge than I do, so I'm just going to trust my money to him. And I mean, if, if I'm thinking wrong here, isn't that kind of like gambling your money? I think that case could be made. I'm not one who says this, the stock market is the same as a casino. I don't quite feel that way about it, but certainly there is a lot of risk. I mean, it, it certainly is among the most risky. Not that, you know, over, over the long term, I have very little doubt that the stock market itself or, you know, the American economy, you know, will continue to do well. And that's essentially what the stock market is. I mean, it's, it's the larger company, the larger, you know, corporate portion of the American economy, that it will continue to do well and to grow and to be profitable. And if it does, you know, then the stock market will also be profitable. The problem is that that doesn't translate to people's money. You know, when you, when you look at stock market performance and you compare that to investor performance, they are not the same. Um, you know, long-term average returns do not equal actual returns. And, and, and that, amongst other things, was what I began to discover. I, I built... The, the story is long. Happy to share it, but it's long. <laughs> but, but ultimately, I ended up building a spreadsheet to test volatility. I, I really, again, accidentally, providentially came across something that, that showed me that volatility was having a much bigger effect and impact than I realized. And so I built a spreadsheet to test this. I was like, can it really, like I had always kind of thought of it as a, as a positive, like an automated opportunity to, you know, buy low and sell high. Uh, if you rebalance during these times of volatility, and that's, that's what I had been taught. That's what I taught clients. And when I built a spreadsheet and just, just isolated volatility and tested it, you know, with hypothetical numbers, it just, every time the more volatile it was, the, the less dollars there were at the end with no other variables. And it was substantial, you know, and then I would add on top of that fees and you would add on top of that. Uh, investor mistakes. Uh, you would add on top of that taxes and, and other things, and it became really apparent that that most families were losing tremendous wealth without realizing it. And some of it was going to be the case, even if everything went as planned. If someone is listening to this and they're going, "Well, I don't want to leave my wealth building in the hands of someone else. I really want to start doing things the way God would have me do them. What would be some of the first steps that you would recommend? I always recommend, regardless of how someone's wanting to invest, that they begin with getting their full financial picture in front of them um, so that you're making informed decisions. Most of us make um, you know, micro decisions without looking at the macro picture, so to speak. So we'll, we'll make this investment decision or this insurance decision or this debt decision or whatever without looking at the entire picture. Um, you know, we'll begin investing here when we have a really big hole, you know, in protection up here that's that could have a much greater impact. So so I would begin with looking at the big picture. And that's how we tend to do that with our clients. Um, as we don't force them to do it, but as much as possible we encourage them to uh, let us help kind of build out their entire financial model 
Um, we can see that on one page and it really makes it obvious, not only to us, but typically to them as well, makes it obvious where they need to begin, uh, you know, what's going to have the biggest impact and, um, you know, where, where there are some holes and things like that. So then it becomes a lot easier to make those decisions. And then from there, I, I recommend people have some kind of advisor, whether it's a, you know, professional advisor, whether it's, uh, you know, someone who's done whatever they're wanting to invest in that type of investment before. It's just always good to have, you know, the counsel and wisdom of somebody else. And in particular, someone who's gone and, and done what you're wanting to do before you um, and just avoiding the, you know, the, the many mistakes that can cause us to, to lose money or even just not have as good a return as we might have had on whatever that investment is. So I'm definitely okay with people doing it on their own to a degree, but, but always have, have some kind of a team. You know, even if you're not handing your money over to someone and having them do everything for you, and I, I really don't ever advise that. Have somebody, have some, some bodies on your team to help think through decisions before you make them. And, and that's most helpful when you can see the big picture. You, I want to kind of go back to, you mentioned that uh, you actually uh, started learning about the biblical well, uh, what, um, Biblically responsible way of investing. investing was the term. Yeah, right, term right, mm-hmm. right, right. How do you, in light of, let's say you go, okay, well, I'm involved with these companies. Um, I'm making a little bit, but, but if they're doing things that are not godly, I, I, I can't condone that. How do you screen these companies for that? That's n- not nearly. It's impossible <laughs> for an individual to do that. Because if you imagine even a single mutual fund, it may have hundreds or thousands of companies in it. Um, and, and really, if you're wanting to be thorough, you know, you'd have to look at what all of those companies are doing. So now, and this, is, this has been decades in the making, this industry has been growing for decades. Um, but now there are a number of third-party screening companies. And all they do is they compile and analyze, you know, this data from privately, or not privately, publicly traded companies. So some of it's obvious, you know, you look at their operations, are they selling abortion drugs? Okay, that, that's pretty clear. Like we don't want to profit from that. Some of it's a little more hidden, you know, who are they giving money to? So maybe it's not something that maybe they make widgets, but they're donating money to Planned Parenthood. Um, and we, we wouldn't want to own that company either as stewards of God's money. So, you know, they compile all of this data. Um, and then there are now mutual fund companies who, you know, they take that data and they use that to build their own mutual fund. So I call them biblically screened. And so, you know, oftentimes they're taking what would be otherwise a pretty typical mutual fund set up a build and, and excluding those companies that, uh, you know, don't fit that, that are involved in unbiblical activities. Everything else can go into that fund. So, so that's how you, and that's how most people get started. Most of them start by, you know, just exchanging, honestly, exchanging their current uh, mutual funds for biblically screened mutual funds. Um, and then as time goes on and I get to know them better, we get deeper into our relationship and I can show them some of the problems that they're likely having and going to have from being fully in the market. You know, they'll begin to transition. Some people, you know, jump, jump all into non-Wall Street investments. Most of them, you know, will do one and then do another and, you know, slowly, gradually build up their portfolio of non-Wall Street investments. Um, so that's typically how it's done. There's not a lot of access for individual consumers to go find that information, honestly. Um, so that's something we do offer. We offer a stewardship report. Uh, so if someone was concerned about that, they wanted to see what they, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, their own investments, they can send us their portfolio. We can get that report done for them and then sit down and kind of walk through and show them, here's what you own. Um, you know, here's what all it's involved in. And then just, where would you like to go from there? Two things. One, how does someone make uh, money on the mutual funds? Do they, 
do it via the buy and hold strategy and hope that the mutual fund increases in value, or do they make the money off of the dividends? That's more of an individual's choice. I mean, most people, if you're asking what most people do, most people are buying and holding and just looking at accumulation. And, and even if they do happen to have a dividend-focused mutual fund or there happen to be some companies in that mutual fund that pay dividends, they typically just reinvest those. And so from their perspective, it's just all accumulation. And it almost has to be that way if you've put all your money into a 401k or into an IRA and you can't take it out, you know, unless, you ha- unless you're over 59 and a half currently, um, you don't have any choice but to accumulate. So, uh, so I'm not a big fan of doing that. Yeah. What if you're younger and you're kind of hearing this? Well, well, I mean, I'm a little bit younger. I'm in my 30s, 40s. I'm not a big fan of using 401ks and IRAs. And, you know, that's a whole separate conversation. Um, one of the big problems that I found with the typical approach is a lack of control. So not only a lack of stewardship and a loss of wealth, but thirdly is a lack of control. And, you know, there, there are reasons that we use these, uh, you know, qualified retirement accounts and it's for, t- for tax benefits. But a lot of times when you're using non-Wall Street investments, you can get similar uh, you know, tax benefits without having to give up the control of your money. Um, you know, we give up our control, our ability to inv- how we invest it and, you know, how we use it more importantly when we use those retirement accounts. And so um, I don't force anybody there. Like I have a lot of clients who still have 401ks and IRAs and things like that. But as much as we can, I try to encourage people to maintain control of their money. And if they wanted to invest for dividends, you could, and you could get those dividends and it could be passive income in your thirties and forties. Uh, but that's not going to be the case if it's in a retirement account. Okay. Very interesting. And how much minimum does someone need? Let's say they're kind of, well, I'm working a job or I've got this little like side gig over here and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm building a company over here or, you know, whatever. How much income do they need to have to really start whirling into uh, these alternative investments or to work with you? I don't have any minimums for working with me. And, and there's a reason for that. Years ago, I worked for one of the biblically responsible or biblically screened mutual fund companies. And um, and I was kind of their internal advisor. So I wasn't building the funds or anything like that. I was working with the families who would hear about us, find us online, whatever, and, and they would come to me. And I had you know just con- constant conversations. And I found that we had the entire gamut of people. Most of them were Christians, you know, understandably, but we had multimillionaires and we had people who were very much in debt and nowhere near investing and everything in between. Um, and so, you know, knowing that that's likely, was likely going to be the case with biblical wealth solutions, you know, where I wanted to be able to be more broad and not just Wall Street focused. I, I was intentional about, I don't want to be turning people away who are coming to me for help. And so we, we really, it may not be investing, you know, we do things with insurance, we do things with helping people get out of debt. And, you know, we, even have financial coaches and people that we can refer them to and, and bring in to help if they're nowhere near investing. So wherever they are in that process, we, uh, you know, we have some kind of resource to help. We even have some free ones, you know, like financial consulting and things that, that's free. Um, so if they really are, you know, just struggling and uh, and couldn't, you know, hire a coach, couldn't really do much of anything and just need help budgeting, you know, we can we can link them with some resources to do that. And then, of course, we work with people on the you know multi million dollar side and, and everything in between. Um, so, th- so there's no minimums. Now, when you're talking about non Wall Street investments, you know they're not mutual funds where you can spend twenty five bucks a month to get into them. Typically, um, you know there's they're five figure or more you know minimum investments to to do those. There are a few. I have a couple of the a couple that have you know ten and a hundred dollar minimums. Uh, so you can get started with with less. But you know most of the good investments in the world require moderate lump sums of money. So we, we help them with saving, you know, help them focus on saving and getting in position to take advantage of those types of 
you know, better investments. So what I'm doing, I'm using the Robinhood app. It's a, I'm sure you know what that is. Uh, I, what I'm doing is I'm building up and I'm not focusing on the stocks for value. I don't care about that necessarily. Uh, I'm trying to build up, like I'm using the fractional investing thing, and I'm building up monthly dividend stocks because I'm interested in cash. Now, I'm not getting a whole lot right now, but I'm trying to kind of build it up. Now, I don't know as far as the, the biblical side of it uh, if I'm investing in companies that aren't so good, but... I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's outside of building our companies. In general, do you think that's kind of a, a good, I mean, the, one of the biggest reasons I'm doing that is because the Robinhood app is accessible to me because I'm a completely blind user and it's accessible. I like the Robinhood app. I don't have any issues with, with Robinhood. You are likely invested in companies that you would have some disagreements with. It's, it's likely, um, you know, not seeing your portfolio. But if you're, if you're using, you know, dividend-focused mutual funds in particular, you are. If you're buying individual stocks, then you may or may not have avoided it. It just depends. Um, typically, dividend-paying companies are large. You know, they're the big stable companies who aren't so focused on growth and they can distribute profit. Small companies don't distribute dividends. They reinvest everything to grow, which they should. And unfortunately, it's typically those big companies who are, you know, supporting many of the things that we wouldn't agree with. So most dividend-focused investments, unfortunately, are not what we would consider biblically responsible. There are some exceptions. I mean, that, I won't drop names, but there are some exceptions, companies you definitely know, uh, you know, that, that, that I'll be comfortable investing in. But from a more financial standpoint, um, no, I mean, I don't think that's a bad plan. I, I like dividends. I like passive income. The challenge is that there will be some volatility in there. So even if the cash flow doesn't fluctuate, the value would, would fluctuate. And so it depends on what the long-term goal is. If it's just to build it up and you know build up the cash flow, then that's been a proven you know long-term strategy. If if the goal is to eventually take some of that and put it into an all-market investment, then you could end up in a situation where you know the value drops and stays there for a long time. You've got to wait you know for a long time until it comes back and you would want to sell and reinvest into something else. So. I tend to help people find, you know, better places, more productive places to store cash. You know, that's that's not a bank account where they're getting, you know, three, four, five percent more guaranteed uh, growth on that cash without any of the volatility, without any of the risk. Um, and then when it gets there, you know, when it accumulates to the point that they can make some other investments, and that they have access to that money to make those investments. So uh, that's my preferred method. But if I had some, if I was working with someone, they're like, hey, I want to save up money in these dividend stocks, and I. I don't have a time frame in mind necessarily. I don't care if it dips in value and I'm, I'm okay waiting for it to recover. That's fine. So every, everything depends on the goals. <laughs> My husband just told me, we'll test it out. And, and I'm like, well, I don't want to do a buy and hold and just wait on value because that's kind of like playing the lottery. And I'm not really keen on doing that. you know. And so that's why I was kind of testing with that. How many um, people do you think really, I mean, are, are, are thinking about their uh, wealth building from a biblical framework. I mean, in general, do you think that this is a, that this is a, a, a common thing or is it kind of more like, well, I never really considered that as far as like most of the church. Totally making up this number, <laughs> but in my experience um, of having hundreds of conversations with people about this idea of biblical investing, um, I'd say 95% are introduced to the idea, including me, including most of the founders of the biblically screened mutual fund companies out there. You know, it wasn't an original thought. It was someone else 
really, I think there was a time about 30 years ago that the Lord gave this kind of vision to a number of people at the same time. And of course, that was pre-internet. They didn't know each other. They've since found each other and it's become a more growing industry. But it's pretty uncommon that someone calls and says, hey, I was thinking about what's going on behind the scenes of my, you know, the, the companies I own and my investments, or I was wondering how they make money, or I was wondering who they give money to. Um, that's pretty unusual. So I think a lot of people, though, would want to, you know, think this way. They would care. They just, it's just never entered their mind. And that was me. Again, I was, I was introduced to the idea. So it didn't, uh, it wasn't original to me. Um, but it was, uh, you know, definitely a, a lightning bolt moment. I, I, went, I remember walking out to my, to my car, to my wife, and I was like, that was probably a providential conversation. I think a lot's going to come from that. Um, it, much more than I thought <laughs> it came from that. Do you have any, like, piece of advice for the person that's hearing this for the first time uh, and maybe kind of chewing on it and going, well, I've never really considered that. And number two, for the believer that is very uh, conscious about their money and they want to make sure it's going to the right places and, you know, God's honored in their financial decisions. uh, Do you have any next steps for them? Yeah. So someone who's hearing this for the first time, I think the first thing that I want to say is this is not coming from a place of judgment. Like, oh, you are a sinful person because you've been investing in these companies or with these mutual funds. That's, that's not at all the case. And, you know, because you didn't know and, and we've not thought about it. I hadn't thought about it. You know, I had lots of investments in companies that I wouldn't have agreed with, but it never occurred to me. Um, so that's the first thing. Like, I want to make people aware of this. I want them to be, become educated and be able to make changes to you know, grow and practicing being a steward of God's money. Um, and so, so that's the goal, you know, it's just to make, br- bring awareness to, to this. If it's more from the financial standpoint, there, there's a, there's a whole big world out there outside of, outside of wall street. Um, but take it slow, you know, take, take it easy in that, um, get some help, let somebody guide you through. Uh, it's easy to make mistakes. Um, but if you, if you have good partners and people who've been there before, uh, you can really avoid a lot, of, a lot of that. Um, and just to take your time, you know, not everyone's ready to, to jump into that right away. And that's fine. Um, to someone who's really, you know, who's hearing this and, and thinking, man, I'm really concerned about that. I really do care about how my money is making money. You know, how I'm, pro- how I'm profiting with God's money. Um, the, the best first step is our stewardship report. Um, and so Teresa, I can send you a link to, to that. We have a specific webpage where you can just very simply get, send us your information and we can run that report for you. Jump on a call, uh, walk through it with you. And again, what you do from there is up to you. Um, it's not a it's not a browbeating conversation at all. It's just a here it is. Um, happy to answer any questions you have. Help you to understand this. It can be a lot for some people to take in. You know, some people we have multiple conversations. They want to get really nitty gritty and, and really understand things. Other people are like, hey, I've heard enough. I probably I probably have it. I don't want to have it. What do we do next? And you know, either either place that people are coming from is is fine. And uh, you know, we're we're prepared and happy to help walk through whatever that process looks like for people. Could God still use these companies? Uh, my money was used, uh, uh, invested in them for not good things. But when it comes back to me, I'm using it for the kingdom. Sure. So, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is, could that be a solid argument? And, or do you think that's kind of a, um, a flimsy argument? I may not quote this scripture exactly right, so I apologize if I don't. Um, it, it's in Proverbs. I need to memorize. I need to memorize the reference. Um, but uh, it, it says, "You know, better is little with righteousness than than great gain with injustice." Um, 
And that has always been something that stuck out to me as I've, as I've thought about this. The, the fact is, thank God, we, we don't have to settle for little in our investments and, and in order to be biblically responsible. Most people that I talk with, most of my clients, they would. They would give up investment performance in order to, you know, not invest in things that just didn't align with their conscience. You know, that, and, I've, and I've had many people who are very strong followers of Jesus, no scripture, look at this and say, you know what, I'm just not convicted of it. And it's not a concern for me. Okay. Um, we can still talk about the financial approach. We can still look at it. That, that's fine. But for people who do, who, who do share that concern, who do want to be mindful of how their money is making money or what those companies are doing, um, the good thing is we don't have to sacrifice performance in order to be biblically responsible. Um, so again, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very libertarian in my thinking. I, I don't try to force people into anything. I like to make as much information available as possible and have as many resources and ways to help people as possible. And, and then I'm happy to help you figure it out or I can give it all to you and you can do what you want, you can do what you want to with it. Um, so, so that's definitely my, my approach with it. Um, so certainly God can take evil and use it for good. And he demonstrates that all throughout scripture. Yet, we're also told to avoid evil. You know, if, if we can, if we know it, we, we should avoid it. And that, so that, that would be my response to your question. That's, that's interesting. Well, do you have any uh, final thoughts, final words that you want to leave with the audience? I uh, just put out an, an ebook called the Biblical, the Biblical and Better Financial Approach. Um, and so it really is my attempt at taking all that we've talked about today and, and more and, and making it as, as simplified and concise as possible um, because it is, it's a lot. You know, to, to think about biblical investing, to think about an alternative financial approach, and and really they were they were all important. They're all necessary, in, in my opinion, to go about things the best way. So I've written an ebook for that, Teresa. I'll send you a link that you can put in the show notes for it. Um, it's actually a unique link, unique link. That's hard to say. A unique link for your listeners, and I have a welcome message on there for them where they can. Um, they can download a copy of that ebook. Um, I'll also give them my uh, my biblical investing discovery guide, which goes a little more into detail about the, you know, the the stock market side of things and the you know the stewardship aspect of the stock market. Um, and so that'll be there for them as well. If you want to really, you know, the best place to learn the most is my is the Biblical Wealth Podcast. I mean, that's where I'm diving deep into these conversations and, and covering all of the stuff that um, we don't have time to talk about today. I'm a podcast. Uh well, let's just say I have a few podcasts in my feed and, you know, I, I checked out his stuff and it, it's, it's solid content. So, um, yeah, I, you know what, this was actually a really good conversation. I really think I learned a lot. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Teresa Blaze Show. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to The Teresa Blaze Show. To catch all her past shows, visit www.teresablaze.com. That's T-E-R-E-S-A-B-L-A-E-S.com.